and um, I'm going to talk to you about your culture is directly linked to your divine destiny. The culture we're living in is directly linked to the divine destiny on your life. And um, some of the ladies that are here will remember at a beach retreat in, back in November, uh, the Lord really spoke a word into my spirit just sitting at that table that day. And I shared a little bit of it that your divine destiny is linked to your air. I had never heard that word before, and it came in my spirit, and I wrote it on my phone and got up and shared that. But your, your divine destiny is linked to your, the time you're living in, and I'll talk about that in a minute, the era, the place, and the culture. Those are the four things. There may be other things, but those are the four things that God spoke to me so clearly. Never thought about them, didn't read them in a book, just a download of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, with that, I began doing uh, a series of studies on it. And I spent eight weeks in, in uh, a presentation for eight weeks solid of the book of Daniel concerning the culture and the time that we're living in and, and the place that God has you. And so I'm going to share uh, a brief, just, uh, just a briefly on the other three, but really my message today is on culture. You'll have to get the series and the CDs and all that to get the other ones, but today it's on culture. I, uh, I said that our destiny is tied to the time we're in. The time, not meaning the era, the time is chronos. It means today, right now. What happens in your life today, if you don't do the will of God today, it will affect what happens tomorrow and the next day and next week. And so your destiny is tied to what you do right now in the moment. You seize the opportunity of a lifetime in the lifetime of the opportunity. So it is a, it's a right now. Today is the day of salvation. That is the timing of God is so, and that your timing in life and every day you walk out your steps, they are linked to your destiny. And uh, so many people want to live in tomorrow. You know, one of these days is just going to be so awesome. God's going to do such wonderful things. No, you're not going to be ready for them because you bypassed today. And there is no shortcut. There is, okay, God will lead you and guide you, and you've got to go with his plan, not your plan. Are you with me? Okay, so that's kind of about today. Now, it, we're also uh, tied to the era and that's marked by distinctive characteristics, events spanning multiple generations. And I'll talk to you about it in a minute. As well as a place that we're in, the job you're on, the city you're in, the neighborhood you're in. It's tied to your destiny. I mean, don't take it lightly the people that are next door to you. I, just, I, I had just an illustration came to my mind, a dear friend in, in Sugarland that I have helped mentor and bring up in the last few years, moved into a brand-new neighborhood, and her neighbor has unbelievably caused her heartache at 8 o'clock at night with two little boys, five-year-old and a six-year-old in the pool splashing. She sends the police and has done it regularly, regularly, regularly until, you know, this lady is about to lose her mind. She's getting all kind of 
letters certified, taking her to the homeowner still. And the police had already told her, don't let your neighbors ruin your life. You're not doing anything wrong. But still, it's just annoying. You, you know what I mean? Those things that annoy you and those things that frustrate you. It may be God stirring you that that may be linked to something in your destiny. Just saying. Okay, because here's the deal. I said to her, please, you know what? I'm just telling you, this is what I feel like you need to do. Get an ice cream cake, because that's what you love. Take it over there to them. Put the best note you can find, a beautiful card, and say, I am so sorry. I want to be the best neighbor that you have ever had in your life. She said, I'm sorry. I cannot do that. Well, we, we went on after about several more weeks. She did that. Bottom line is, now that neighbor has turned totally around. She is from an Indian origin and now has accepted the Lord Jesus into her life. Thank you, Father. So my point is this. In a quick way, I just want you to know that the place that you are, the neighborhood, the school, the assignment, the job, no matter where you are, it is linked to your destiny. Don't live so far in. And I, I know we're in a social network society. And oh Lord, I really do want to go there. It took me five or six years to even say I would do it. But and here's one of the reasons why. Because it sometimes I know it's got great things. Please don't think I don't know that. I'm I'm very well aware of that. However, I see the negative impact and the onslaught of us becoming a no speaking society. It's you don't talk to anybody and, and God forbid that I would call anybody on the phone because they ain't fixing to answer. They want you to send them a text. There's something about hearing the voice and I wish I had time to preach on that. There's something about God waiting to hear the release of the bride and, and what will take place when the bride begins to speak. And you have to acknowledge that every time something comes out of your mouth, it is linked to something in your destiny. And don't speak anything lightly. Know that every word that you speak these days has a weight to it because you are speaking as an oracle of God. I don't know. I'm preaching to something in here today. I feel the presence of God stirring the people of God. So I, I'm way ahead of myself, but let's talk about culture, the, the beliefs, the, the way of thinking, the sum of attitudes, customs, traditions, and beliefs that distinguishes a group of people. Culture is transmitted through language, material objects, music, religion, uh, cuisine, social habits, art, values, and motives transferred and transmitted from one generation to another, perpetuated in a society through its institutions. It is also shared behaviors of shared behaviors and interactions. Absolutely, we are living in a culture of technology, yes. A culture of radical religion, a culture of Christian, because Christianity is not just a religion. It is truly an experience with the one true living God, Jehovah, whose name is Jesus Christ. And so we are living here in our nation, in our culture, that God has equipped us for and attached us to our destiny with. We are living here because
because it in a post-Christian and an anti-Christian society. Now, Daniel is the biblical character that God really put in my spirit. And as I told you, I, I did a series of eight weeks just on Daniel and the culture that is so parallel. You can't even believe when I share in a minute. Babylon, where he was exiled to, is the modern... Uh, Baghdad and just did a lot of history to find out that oh my goodness the word of God is so relevant over 4,000 actually more than that years later God the same principles the same things are happening in our world right now and I, I want to share some of those with you. So I, I will mention all four things, but I, I want to end up, of course, on culture and, and talk to you about Daniel. The era thing is very important. Your, it's it's, uh, your destiny is tied to the era that you were in. Because there are some people that would love to have been born in the age of Aquarius. They want to be born in the 60s. There's someone or 70s or, you know... Some of us, you know, weren't, were born about that time, and others were born later in the 80s. 80s, 80s had some good music. And, not, and then there's others that wanted to be born in Jesus' time. But I can tell you the era. We have been equipped for such a time. Now, that time is not Cronus, the minute. That time is the era. That is the era that you are living in right now. And it's interesting that era means that it spans generations. Now, the new definition of a generation used to be 40 years, and that's still, uh, that is still the official thing, a generation. But now, it has really been dumbed down to about every 10 years, there's a new generation. So, uh, right now, I am, I am uh, synergizing about five generations. My parents, I wish there was another in between, but it's probably my parents, then me, then there's my son, that generation. Then there is my, my grandsons, and then there's babies. Actually, there is kind of another one in between there if I had time to go through. But all of you at some point in your life will be spanning. Most of the time, unless you're at the very winter of your life, you are spanning multiple generations at once. And it is upon you and incumbent upon you as the people of God that has been born for such a time as this, an era, a multi-generation that you not only reach your generation, but you touch every generation that God has placed you in the middle of. Are you with me? Okay, so that's era. Now, the place, I've already talked to you. I, I did a whole message here about, the, about a place called there. I, I uh, want to talk to you about Daniel for the next few minutes. Daniel is led into exile in 605 B.C., and he lived there until 536 B.C. Uh, I want to skip some things that are, would be great for the historians in here and really link some things to you. I really did pull out some incredible things I'd never seen. But I, I want to get to the, the main points today. So we'll talk with Daniel. We'll talk with Daniel. We will read from Daniel 1, 1 through 7 quickly. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Remember, there, 
they, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is taking them into exile and he's taking some of the holy things and I won't get to that today but that is a huge study on, on the holy things of God and he brings them into uh, this new land that they are exiled to called Babylon these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put it in the treasure house of his God, G-O-D, small God. Then the king ordered Asphanes, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Watch what? This culture that I want to parallel where we are right now, watch what they were looking for. Number one, young men, young, say young, without physical defect and, and handsome. That is beauty. That's youth. Beauty, image. Are we an image-driven society or what? We're driven into comparing. That's what has broke down much of the family unit. It's broken down so much of our younger generation. They compare themselves one with the other, and then they compare themselves with Hollywood. And there's been an image breakering because the image that we are comparing ourselves to is not the right image. It is a graven image. It is not the image of our Lord and Savior that we are supposed to conform to. So there is a young and physically, a physical defect, handsome, which is beauty. And then it says with aptitude for learning. Oh my, well informed, quick to understand, qualified. Oh my goodness, intellect is huge because you, you is smart, you is kind, and you is important. And I want everybody to know it's not just about your intellect. You got to be kind and you are important. So moving along. I don't know where that came from. Okay, so Babylon, I, I'm not going to read the rest, but let's just get no, let's do it. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah. Here's Daniel and his new name, Hananiah, Michelle, and now his new name is Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, I'm sorry, uh, and I was getting ahead of myself, to Hananiah. Shadrach to Meshach and to Azariah, which is Abednego. Now, if I messed you up, go back and read it on your own. But it's all in there. Uh, Babylon quickly means this exactly. It means confusion, and it sim symbolizes self-will, self-absorption, uh, self and an overindulgent society. Duh. Does that in any way characterize the culture that our destiny is tied to? You would think, oh, we don't have to have anything to do with that culture. God, that's not God's. Way. No, no, no. Watch this. And so here he is. We have a Christian's life. They are in exile. They're considered exiles and strangers in this foreign nation, which we are too. The word says, this world is not our home. We are pilgrims and strangers. It's very interesting when you see the methods, the culture begin to make, the efforts they made to begin to to dumb them down, begin to brainwash, begin to interlock and cause the reasoning power of that secular culture to become the reasoning of these incredibly gifted, anointed, and men of God, those that he had sent into this place. So they taught them to speak the language. They were schooled by them. Everything. Then they had to read the literature of the Babylonians, which, hey, 
go for it. Because I'm just saying, if you're in a secular environment, you were there for a reason. Learn everything you can. One thing I know is the one way that you beat your enemy or your opponent, and we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but you have to know the weaponry and the strategies of the enemy. And God will put you in a place, and you will learn their strategies. They think they're infiltrating you, but the Holy Spirit of God inside of you will turn that thing around. So, watch this. Everything was done to separate these guys from their Jewish roots. Brainwashing and, and indoctrination. Uh, Babylon does not uh, want them remembering where their roots were. And neither does this culture want us to remember the roots of who we truly are. We are blood-washed, blood-bought, saints of the Most High God. And this culture is anti our root system. Everything done to separate them. And just, uh, it's a, a side note here, but the first trial of Daniel was not true persecution. It was worldliness, cultural compromise. But later in his life, it becomes direct persecution, and we'll find out about that. And since that, uh, that things are, are changing and persecution of Christians among us, you need to know that we have not only moved from infiltration, brainwashing, dumbing down, uh, cultural reasoning and secular reasoning until we have entered into a time-changing era. And that is now it is genuine persecution, even in our nation, for the faith of our one true living God. Whoever thought we would get here? Whoever thought we would? So, so this is where they find themselves. The fact that it was prepared, their meals were prepared by Gentiles. They, they had to come to some reckoning at some point. Where do you draw the line? Watch this. So further, without a doubt, they were given all this royal food, but it had been sacrificed previously to other gods. And the Jewish law were forbidden to eat flesh sacrificed to other gods. And even though they weren't living in a land where that law was governed or are carried out, they knew that the law of God in their heart was much greater than the law that they were under. So they excused themselves, and Daniel asked if he could please. He did it in a very kind way. He didn't go up and demand, and he didn't throw a sign in their face, and he didn't go fist fighting with hatred and bitterness. I, I'm, I'm talking here, but you just read between the lines. He didn't have any of that. He just said in a very, a very respectful way, can we please just eat the things that we are used to eating and then you will find out and you can check up on us later and see if we aren't still as fair complected that we still don't have the same intellect that we don't look just the same so he began to challenge them and they took him on, uh, up on it and uh, they knew that they were called to this culture. you got to know that. If you don't, you're going to spend your time on the defense posture. We have to spend our time in an offensive with the Word of God in our mouths. We cannot live defensively the rest of the years that we have here. The body of Christ has got to be an offensive army that is moving through the lines of the enemy and gaining dominion and gaining territory in the spirit. So they allowed themselves to be educated. They served in their culture. They loved their culture. They would not allow them, though. They began to take a stand at this point. You will not 
the line is drawn. I will not compromise my lifestyle, and I won't compromise my identity. My identity is I serve only the one true living God. And so when, you work with, when you're messing me up there, we're going to have a problem. But I will be kind. I will be respectful. But you're not going to take my identity because they knew who they were. They knew that God had placed them there not to just survive and barely get through, but to thrive but to be the light in a dark world and to be everything he called them to. I wish I had time to take you to Jeremiah 29 because I believe with all my heart that I can make the assumption with all integrity that this is the blueprint that Daniel was living by. If I read you 20, Jeremiah 29, you'd find out that those 10,000 that had been exiled before Daniel found themselves in a place that starts with Coda. It starts with a K. And outside... They didn't infiltrate into, they were outside the gates of Babylon because they weren't going to be in there. They were going to separate themselves. There's a difference in separating yourself in your own subculture where there is nothing coming at you than being a separated, called, anointed, appointed woman, man, child, youth of God that is in the world but not of the world. So, this is where they were. And, and they, they said, uh-uh, we're not going to do it. Then they found out. God sent a word through Jeremiah, a letter, actually. Go back and read it. And said, this is what I want you to do. You're doing what's wrong. I told you to go there. And here's what I want you to do. Be a part of the culture. Pray for your city. Pray for your nation. And, and get in the culture and make a difference. It really says that. That's what it says in Jeremiah 22. Because when the city is blessed... You will be blessed. When the people in your job are blessed, you're going to be blessed. And the only reason your job may be blessed is because God sent you there to pray. That may be the only reason that it progresses. So he, the, this other guy, now I'm getting to a main point. Oh, Jesus, help me. I, I wish, I, I want to use Naaman real quickly as an illustration because I'm getting to this next point that comes up because this is where the worship of these guys came under fire and they weren't going to worship anything else but the one true living God. And if you went back to Naaman, you'd find out that he was a defiled person. He goes to get his healing and goes to get purified. And, uh, that he had the leprosy, remember, when he goes to the prophet. And he, he, he didn't say that I'm going to go back to Israel and I'm going to protest against you. When he got what he needed, he got something that I had never seen until I dug this in Scripture and found out. He dug up two loads of dirt and put it on, a, put it on the back, wagon loads of dirt, the Scripture says, and put it on mules and took it back into a Babylonian place or into uh, his society. He was an Assyrian commander. He knew that he would have to affect positively his world. His leadership would draw a line. And the word says that when it came time for him to go to the temple, he couldn't do what he had done before. He takes out the dirt where he got healed, where he got saved. He takes out the foundation and said, I will no longer offer a sacrifice to a pagan god, but I want to remember what God did for me so I'm taking this dirt and I will worship the one true living God there's something that has to rise up inside of you as a worshiper and say you can fool with a lot of things but I draw the line at my worship you're not going to get my worship and you got to know your convictions here's what you do before you get to the test 
the trial you don't wait till you get there and you're under pressure you determine your lines you determine where you are in the world called to live alongside but not to be hostile to the friends not to be hostile to people Nebuchadnezzar needed Daniel and Daniel loved him he worked for him 40 to 50 years he served him and if you don't believe that he he loved him when he had that dream and his face the word said was ashen because he saw what was going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar and he goes to him and be, uh, uh, betrays him to please turn away, turn away because he had been placed to be the light in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Now, we're living in a, a, a counterculture, as I've said, but we know that our identity as the people of the true living God cannot be questioned and will not give in there. We will not give in on our worship, and we will not give in on our lifestyle. We will not. We will be a part of this world. We will honor. We will love. We will cherish the things that are offered us, but we will draw a line. Our identity, our worship, our lifestyle have to be lines. In chapter two king nebuchadnezzar has a dream that troubles me he said and i wanted to know what it means so daniel two says the king replied to the astrologers this is what i firmly decided if you don't tell me what my dream was and interpret it i will have you cut into little bitty pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble but if you tell me the dream and explain it you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor now he's about to kill people. He has moved from just infiltrating their culture and their minds and their bodies. Now he is absolutely in direct persecution. So King Nebuchadnezzar has asked the impossible, which the king's musicians and astrologers openly acknowledge that it's impossible because this is what I saw in the word. I hadn't seen this before, but it says only the gods, little G-O-D with an S, only the gods can provide an answer for this, and they do not live among men. I have a rebuttal. The one true living God does live among men. He does live in our heart, and we do have the answers. Does Daniel panic? No. Does he freak out? No, not at all. This is a boy that may be 20, 19 or 20 at, at the stage of chapter 2. But he knows his God. And, and this major, uh, famous major Ian Thomas that some of you probably read about said something that was key. It is the presence of the Lord Jesus. There's something about his presence. Something about his presence. Yeah. The Lord Jesus that allows a man to be gloriously detached from the pressure of the circumstance. Daniel seems to be gloriously detached. You know, uh, Einstein, even Einstein's wife had something good to say. I look for good things women say. Sometimes we don't say the right things. So uh, his wife said something. She said, look, someone asked his wife if she understood the theory of relativity. And she replied, no, I do not. But Albert does, and he can be trusted. Well, here's what I want to tell you. I'm not sure what all is going on in the earth right now. I'm not sure every event and situation that's coming about, but I'm like Daniel. I don't know where the persecution and what's going to be tomorrow. But one thing I do know is I know God. And I know that I can trust Him. I can trust Him. That's where the rubber meets the road in Christianity. When things aren't going our way, can we still 
still trust him. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel. It's nothing like a good old trial to get us to, to, the, to the prayer firing line. You know, there's just something about that. It's, he swings straight into action. And, the, and he begins to call for prayer. He's saying, Bro, brothers, come on. He doesn't go by Starbucks and get some coffee and let's mull it over. He doesn't get on Facebook and have about 1,432 friends come in on their opinion about it. He goes straight to the throne room of God and says, ah, there's only one opinion that matters right now, and that is your opinion, oh God. So Daniel heads to the throne room, and the Word of God says that Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be the name of God forever. Wisdom and power are yours. He changes times and seasons. This is the context of that little quote that we talk about all the time. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. Oh, I wish I could get there. And listen what the next thing says. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. And Daniel says he reveals deep and hidden things. Obviously, Daniel was thinking about the king's dream that had been revealed to him. But God reveals more than this. He can reveal the reasons and concerning the dark things. And there's scripture to prove that. In our age, the pressure is on. But God knows what lies ahead. And it never is never has been a time that we needed to understand the voice of God and the spirit of the Lord God and understand how to pray in that spiritual language and get in that vein of the spirit so God can reveal things to us. So this passage, uh, an event constitutes a change because look what's happening now. We're in the third chapter and I'm fixing to wind up in a minute. Uh, I got then... The herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you were commanded to do, O people, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, and all those instruments, King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, whatever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing fire. You know we've heard this fiery furnace story. It just goes right over our head. Go back and look it up. The Word of God right now is coming alive in a way that maybe it never has to you before. God will reveal hidden truths there. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn and all those instruments, all the peoples, the nations, and the men of every language, very important that all the peoples, all the nations, and all the men of every language Worship the image of God that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But just, just a few, just a few. This passage and event constitutes that change. They had faced indoctrination, but now they were into true persecution. Now, there, at this point, they, the true faith in the face of fire came upon them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel 3 replied to the king of Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter if if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, because there's still a question of whether they will be or not. The God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, and this is where you got to get to, even if he does not, even if I die, even if I give my life, what is that? Because we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship 
worship the image of gold you have set before us the, the boldness and the strength. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious, and as you know, he begins to throw them in the fire. It's about now that we're reminded that God's ways are not our ways. They are not. You can probably imagine the prayer groups, and I'm going to end with this because I want you to see this real quickly because this is so current to me. See, I see... I see the Bible in video when I'm going through it, and it jumps and leaps into my right now, present world. And I saw life teams in our small groups. I saw three of them going on. There was, and I wrote it down, Sister Susie's was over here because they had some small groups going on, and they were going to take care of this. And their prayer is this, Oh, Lord, we beseech thee, change Nebuchadnezzar's mind. And then... The thundering voice of God comes back and says, no. Well, that's Sister Susie's small group over here, prayer group. Then we got Brother Boo's small group over here. And he said, oh, God, don't let Nebuchadnezzar throw him in the fire. Think about all the families. Oh, God, don't do it. Please, just spare them. I don't want you to do that. Please think about their families. And the thundering voice comes back. God says, I want them thrown in the fire. Wow, it's getting dangerous now. Then we got prayer group number three. And uh, this is Sister Pookies over here and Brother Pookies. It's it's a team going on over here because they're going to thunder the gates of hell. And this one says, oh, Lord, they're getting close. They're getting closer by the second. I command those flames to leave in the name. I command those flames to be gone. Devil, you go back to the pit. And, man, they are thundering the absolute gates of hell and then there's a voice from God that says my child it is my will and desire that they go through the flames I have something but it is only found in the midst of the fire now that's the three groups I saw okay so let's keep going you think about that here's the deal 95% of our prayers I I, kind of did a study about 95%, I know it's not always accurate, but that's a whole lot, is spent telling God what he should do. I know because I do it. I know, and I are one of you. But God didn't take the fire away. He can and sometimes does. But in my experience, he usually has a purpose in letting people go through the fire. The purpose for the flames, listen to this. King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men? I see four. Oh, my God, he says. I think he did. That seems like what he'd say. Look, I see four men in the fire. What are y'all going to do about it? Please, somebody. I am losing my mind. That was kind of my translation. Well, the result in direct fulfillment is the flames didn't touch them. They didn't smell like smoke. And only the cords that had bound them, only the thing that had bound them up and limited them were the things that got totally burned up and that's what God does when you go through those situations so what was the purpose of the flame quickly it was number one for Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they were able to experience God on a whole nother level they were able to experience his protection his fellowship his peace 
when circumstances would state otherwise. And then there, it was for the unbelievers, for Nebuchadnezzar as well, because the word said he got to see that God took them through the fire and they didn't burn. It was a witness tool. God's desire is for whatever you go through, it's not just to make you holy. It's for you to shine so somebody can see what God is doing in you. Oh, my goodness. When you think there's a reason for it and a purpose for it, it gives you a little more courage. Oh, Jesus. I'm preaching better than y'all are responding. I just know that. I, I'm finishing up, though, because I'm late. But here's what. Uh, this is my response. This is my response. And at least uh, this is what I think I would have said. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is what I wrote down as my response, yell back, na 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 in your face. You come on in here where we are. Okay, that's not what happened, but that would have been a good one. I'm, I kind of, you know, but here's the real one. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the straps perfect. Governors and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces in their houses, be turned into piles of rubber. For no other God, little g, can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the province of Babylon, in the province and the culture of where you and I are living today. Nebuchadnezzar was blown away. These kids go from a zero to heroes. I mean, straight from the depths of fire into a brand new job. Shadrach and, Me and, and, and Meshach and Abednego, Daniel along with them, made their re resolutions, and this is what they said. Either God will bring us out, or he'll bring us through. Here's what you got to know. And then if, if he doesn't bring us through intact, then he'll bring us through and we will be in his presence. So really there's three choices here. No matter what, God is still in control of our lives. Not theirs, but ours. And so here's the thing. God brings us out and fear will not be our choice. If he does not, we will trust him anyway. Because this is what I know. When you stand up for Jesus. You are going to stand out, but you'll never stand alone because he will never leave you nor forsake you. And this is what else I know. What he doesn't deliver you from, he will take you through because that is his power. Stand with me. Father, I thank you that you have tied our destiny to this culture and we live in such perilous times now and you alone will take us through this fire. You never promised that the cross would not be heavy and the hills would not be hard to climb. You never offered victory without fighting. But you said help will always come in time. So just remember when you're standing.
in the valley of decision. And the adversary says, come on, give in. Give in. Everybody else says you need to give in too because you're just out of it. You're not with it. Just hold on. I said just hold on. Hold on, yeah. Our Lord will show up and he will take you through the fire again. Thank you, Jesus. Prayer partners are coming. There's some of you that need impartation for such a time as this. And I challenge you today, don't let it be just one more Sunday because tomorrow is a different, a different assignment. If Satan hasn't gotten you on the last one, he's after you tomorrow. But you can know where your strength lies. Don't leave today until you have come and repurposed your life to the things of God, the one true living God, and declared my identity is intact, my lifestyle will be intact, and my worship will be expressive. My worship will stand out. My worship will be extravagant. My worship will usher in the presence of God and only God himself. I love you. God bless you.